Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon. Our New Test Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 68, beginning with verse 4. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him, father of the fatherless and protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain. Before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished, your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The woman who announces the news are a great host. The king of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let let snow fall on Solomon. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever? The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord, belonged, belonged deliverance from death, but God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike, that you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your possession is seen, O God, the possession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Blessed God in the great congregation, the Lord, O, o you who are of Israel's fountain. Our New Testament reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a, manner, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one God, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all maintain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thanks be to God. Or, this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Good morning. Thanks be to God indeed. I'm Pastor Craig. I'd love to meet you if I haven't yet. I want you to imagine that uh, you or uh, a couple of us from the congregation were standing out front on the sidewalk and just asking people the simple question, what is the church to you? What do you think the responses would be that we would receive? Some people would cross the street, right? To avoid us, maybe rightly so. Um, some people would say, what? It's a good place of self-help, self-care, so maybe it's defined by therapy. Others may say it's a kind of social justice club, so it gets defined by politics. Some would say it's boring and irrelevant. Maybe some of you would say that too. Some would maybe say it's, it's like what Marx said. It's an opiate of the masses to just sort of keep us in our place, to numb us to the status quo. Maybe some would be even more specific and, and really malign it for how abusive it has been, how corrupt it has been in the past. That also 
rightly so in many ways. Plenty of hypocrisy in our church's past, the global church. Um, maybe if they're, if they're a Christian, maybe they would say something like, well, it's, it's a, a good idea, but it's lost its way. We need to return to the pure first century church, which is a myth, by the way. First century was full of problems, as we see in the letter. But I say all that just to uh, say what probably we all are very aware of is that the church is, it's a hard thing to believe in. It's a hard, it doesn't have very good PR, does it? And I want us to try, instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and say it's just some human thing that's going to be Take it, take it or leave it. I want us to try and get to what is the original vision of the church. What if it was God's idea in the first place? What would he have for it? Because that is something of what we see in Ephesians 4. It is a, a wonderfully beautiful passage. And as we walk through it, reminding us of of what we had last week of Ephesians 3, that's going to help us pray for our passage. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would be at work according to the riches of your glory. That you, Christ Jesus, would dwell in our hearts by faith. That we would come to know and comprehend just how wide and deep and long is your love. That we would know that you are already at work in us and among us and that we would have the strength to comprehend your love. Father, open our hearts that we would hear your truth, that we would hear from you for the building up of your church and to the praise of your glorious grace, we pray. Amen. All right, I want to look at uh, four points that we see in Ephesians 4. We're just going to be uh, looking at it pretty closely. Uh, Different aspects of the unity that we see in Ephesians 4. And the first thing that we see is that the unity is given. It is simply given. It is one in the Lord, W-O-N, as in he has triumphed and given us one Lord. He he says it there in verse 4, as if he's, he's trying to almost slam it over our heads, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope, and then one God and Father of us all. He actually uses different words for the word one there, trying to sort of make sure they get it, almost like saying one and single and unique. There is one, one church. There is only one church. Regardless, you know, despite what it appears to be in our world today, there is only one church, and we confess with the global church 
that we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Catholic meaning simply universal. We understand denominations as sort of allowing until heaven differences to maintain that do not excommunicate us. We don't excommunicate you if you're not Presbyterian. There is still only one church with various branches. But why is the one so important? Because there's only one Jesus. There's only one Jesus. There can only ever be one body of Christ. Because there literally is only one body of Christ. Ascended in heaven and united to his body on earth. We can keep it as simple as that. But I want to try to help us understand what do we mean by unity. I don't know about you, maybe unity is a bad word. Lots of different ways to use unity. Right? There can be a superficial unity. This is something that Jeremiah prophesied against. Peace, peace when there is no peace. That's what the false prophets would say. They would wash over the difference and say, no, no, there's no problems here. God is fine with everything that's going on. There's peace, peace. But there was no peace. That's not what we're talking about. That's a kind of superficial unity. There's a non-Christian unity, right? There's all sorts of unity. There's unity in the NFL stadiums for the playoff games today. That's some kind of unity. There's lots of unity in politics. You go to a political rally as it's ramping up now, and there's going to be unity there. I happened to catch this, this news article about how the word evangelical now gets used and how it is basically void of any religious meaning has nothing to do with what the word means, which comes from gospel, good news, right? One person who claims to be an evangelical, she goes to her political rally and she hasn't been to church in years and says, I I have my own little thing with the Lord. You may have it, but it is called narcissism and it is not the Bible. You have made Jesus in your own image, so we may call it Christian, but it is not. Christian. So there's superficial unity, there's non-Christian unity. There's also abusive unity, and we can admit that. Top-down, heavy-handed, you must unify or else, right? You think of the tyrants throughout history, dictators, whatever, that is never going to be the unity had in the church because the unity that we have is given by the king who came to die, who came to serve. And so we may brush over a lot of these letters that talk about the unity of the body, but Paul is so fired up about it. Precisely because there is only one Jesus, and precisely because you are only ever saved By grace alone. By grace alone. 
And anytime we start adding other ways to be saved, other avenues, if you work really hard at this, if you are from a certain type of family or background, then you start to have divisions. These are the people that are really saved or really in the body of Christ, and then you're breaking off. So it has to do with one Jesus who alone can save. Always comes down to the gospel which we receive. We receive the gospel. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we receive the unity of the Lord. It is something we maintain. It is not something we accomplish ourselves. Just like salvation. It is something we receive. So, unity is given. And then I want us to see that unity acts. ACTS. It does things. It does things. It is active because of the therefore. Therefore. If you're ever reading the Bible, you always want to know why is the therefore. What is it there for? Why is it there? What is it there for? Paul starts off our passage. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. He's saying, therefore, because of what he has already said, probably at the end of chapter 2, chapter 3 is almost like one big parenthesis. He has said, Christ has died, has been raised, is seated at the right hand of God. You too, who were dead, have been raised and is seated with the Lord. He has made some incredible statements, blanket statements of facts. For you English teachers, the indicatives are what we can cherish, what we always have to start with, what is already true simply because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has died has been raised, is the king of kings, ascended like we sang. Those things are true. You are saved by grace through faith alone, he says in chapter 2. Those things are true. Indicatives often are in the past tense or about something that happened in the past tense. Just as he does at the start of Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. He just spent 11 chapters talking about the mercies of God. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The indicative always comes before the imperative for the Christian. The imperative being the command. That means that a Christian is before he or she does. We are a Christian before we do anything. Our being comes before our doing. You are born again. You are given a new foundation. You are given a whole new motivation for life. Therefore, do something about it. Do something with it. You've been given a whole new sports team. You've been given the jersey. Now... Put it on and act like it. It is the simple, natural 
step. That's what the therefore is there for. Unity, therefore, acts in love. Chapter 3 was all about love. The end of it, the love of Christ that is incomprehensible. We pray for the strength to comprehend. The love of Christ that is wide and deep and long and high. In this case, he's coming back to love. Bearing with one another in love. Love is not a spiritual gift. It's not something that you can say is not my gift. It's not the thing I do. I do other things. Sorry, can't get out that way. Love is not a spiritual gift. This passage is not about spiritual gifts. You can go to other places in Paul for that. This passage is saying there is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't love. It's like a round square. It doesn't exist. He expands on what he means by love here. Humility, verse 2. Therefore, walk, ex- like work it out. Because you've already been given this calling. This is who you are now. Therefore, what do you do? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. We say this verse every week now after the table. As we pass the peace, because why? Because this is what it means to be in Christ. You walk with humility and gentleness and patience and love. Let me say something about humility. Humility was not a virtue in the ancient world. It was not a virtue. If you were privileged enough to write books on virtues, you did not promote humility Unless it was to your slave. I'm not being funny. It is true. Humility was not a virtue. It was a weakness. Until Jesus. In the Old Testament, of course, it was a virtue. But they were not really dealt with in the Greco-Roman world. Until Christ shows us who God is, what God does, which is he comes but does not consider his divine nature something to take advantage of, something to grasp, but what? Empties himself in humility. Philippians 2, when Paul talks about God emptying himself, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, let each of you look not only to his own interests. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we were a community where we did nothing out of selfish ambition? Some of us would be so paralyzed we wouldn't know what to do. But that is the calling of the Christian and the church to be a whole new sort of Ethic, a whole new sort of way of life. The key, though, is do you see what the therefore is there for? Why does having unity in the Lord automatically lead to humility and love? Because anytime you're not acting humble or loving, you're going to be breaking the unity that you have been given. 
Anytime you're going to try to boast or be prideful or self-righteous, you're going to be diminishing what Christ has done for you and given you like he has given all Christians. Anytime you're not willing to be patient or bear with one another in love, you're going to be what? Diminishing what the church is supposed to be. A community defined by this. This is what rocked the first century world. So we should ask ourselves honestly, do we love? What would it take for our hearts to grow in our desire to want more humility? Gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, wanting it, desiring it, because that's simply what it means to be a Christian. And if you don't, if you struggle with that, why? What is underneath that? Because it has to do with you and Jesus. It's not about the other person that's hard to love. Because, as we see, and as we I want to see in our third point, unity assumes diversity. Assumes diversity. And we see this in our passage. So we've seen that unity is given, right, because Jesus won. We've seen that unity acts and does things, acts in love, humility, gentleness. But this passage is, is made up so much of unity as well as diversity. Okay. Excuse me. Verse 7 is where it sort of turns. 1 through 6 is really unity. 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then he goes on. Verse 13. We are doing things. We are working until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. God is at work. Jesus is at work. We're going to come back to the middle passage. But everything is happening. We're building each other up in love until we all attain the unity in Christ. Built up into mature manhood. We actually need each other the people who are different from us, in order to attain the unity that we have already been given. Because remember, there's all sorts of other unities. You don't need Jesus for a lot of other unities. You just need to like, I don't know, the Philadelphia Eagles. Or you need to have the same sort of political beliefs. You don't need Jesus to have unity on political beliefs. Because then your unity is in something else, some worldly characteristic. But we see in the visions of heaven that all peoples from all tribes and nations and languages are united in their worship of the Lord. At Pentecost, they hear the gospel in different languages. Their unity is not even in their language. Because there are Jews from all over the world there. And they hear the great works of God being proclaimed in different languages. We need 
each other. Not to even, not even to just help. I'm not making the boring point. Like, of course, you need someone to help you. Yes, that's obvious too. But you literally need everyone because the whole point is that we would all be one because there's only one Christ. So if you're trying to grow in Christ, but you're not growing with anyone else in love or humility and gentleness, you literally cannot be growing in Christ. That doesn't make sense. Just like the, the lady, I got my own thing with the Lord. You have something, it's not with the Lord. I just don't think you can read this passage and many others and say that. The purpose of what God is doing in the world now is this. Building us up into mature manhood, which is not for the men and boys. We're being built up into the mature one man, Jesus Christ. So it's fitting that Martin Luther King Day's tomorrow, right? Reminds us. Reminds us of what we need for growing in Christ. But let's spend a minute or two just on verses 11 and 12. Some translation issues I just want to make you aware of. 11, our translation says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That verse 12 is, is uh, unfortunate, let's say. Because it makes it sound like you have these five, four or five positions that Christ has given to give the saints the real work to do ministry. I don't think that's what's going on. Because in the Greek, those three phrases, equip the saints, do the work of ministry, build up the body of Christ, those are three parallel phrases that I think actually only apply to those four or five groups in verse 11. To constitute or perfect or join together the saints is part of what they're supposed to do. To do the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. The, point, the importance part there is simply as Paul and the other writers in the New Testament do, they sort of guard the ministry of the word as a unique calling. And so, just as the reformers argued for the priesthood of all believers, because there's only one priest, as one, one commentator said, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, but not the clergyhood of all believers. There's something different there the ministry of the word. But notice that this is all based around teaching. So the purpose is to build up the body of Christ so that we are not tossed to and fro like children. If you've ever been with a toddler, they are tossed all over the place. Bouncing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And without doctrine, I hate to say it, hate to tell you, without doctrine, we're simply going to bounce back and forth, back and forth like we are in the ocean 
trying to go out in the sound without a raft. So the purpose, so, so we actually need it for doctrine. We actually need it happening by speaking the truth in love. Literally, it's actually truthing in love. But notice the purpose. The purpose is that we may grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body. So again, notice you have this unity and diversity. There is no way to grow up into Christ if you're not growing with someone that is hard to love. Because then you don't need Jesus to love them. It's just really easy. That's why Jesus can say, you love, you love those who love you already? Good for you. The pagans do that too. The purpose of this, the purpose of Speaking the truth in love, the purpose of holding fast to the doctrine of the gospel is that we would all be built up into Christ, who is the head. You could say sort of truth without love is almost like trying to have God without the incarnation. He hasn't come down. We're not willing to speak someone's language. He hasn't come down to us. All right, take a breath. Or wake up, depending on where you're at. We have seen that unity is given. Unity acts. It does things. It therefore, because of unity, therefore, walk in humility, gentleness, patience, love. And we have seen that unity assumes diversity. Lastly, I want us to see that unity marches Unity marches. We are actually on a victorious march displaying the glory of the Lord. Now, where in the world do I get that? That's in the part that I skipped intentionally. But in verse 7, what do we have? Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, there, therefore, 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 it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What are we doing with this middle section? Can't we just skip it? There's a lot of good stuff on the outside. We could just go home and skip it. I don't want to skip it though. The quote is from Psalm 68, which is what we heard read. And Maybe you got a sense of it. The psalm is a victory procession of the Lord. A victory procession like you would do having won some big military victory. And you would come back and you would celebrate and the city would welcome you and the women who didn't go out to battle would welcome you and you'd come and show off all the things you've gained when you're coming back into your city. That's why... We reread things like sing to God, sing praises to him. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. He's coming and conquering. When you went out, you marched through the wilderness. The earth quaked. The heavens poured down rain. It's like cosmic. 
The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee. Chariots of God are twice 10,000. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. What does that mean? Sinai, the place where the law came to Moses. Mount Sinai is now being brought to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Right? Sinai is way out in the, in the wilderness from Egypt. Now he's celebrating this victory that God is ascending to Zion, to Jerusalem. He is, the, Jerusalem is on a mountain, right? The temple is on a mountain. It's a temple mount. So he's riding this glorious victory procession up a mountain with his people behind him. But, but Paul does something that I would advise you not to do because you're not an apostle. He changes the verse. The psalm says, you ascended on high, leading host captives in your train, receiving gifts to men, which is normal for an ancient king, right? The people you conquered, they're going to bring you gifts because you're the king. Paul says, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Why is that? Because the picture we have now is Jesus having conquered, ascending to the ultimate temple in heaven, is not because our salvation is not by works, waiting for us to bring what we could accomplish for him. As he goes up the mountain, he is distributing his gifts to us, the church. He is distributing the ascended king, is actually not waiting to be receptive. He's saying, I am going to give you apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers for the building up of the whole body of Christ so that we see the picture of the church is actually this glorious procession into the presence of God. That the glory of the Lord that was meant to be global from the very beginning. It was meant to be Eden. You got Eden in a little place and it's going to go global. God takes a detour because of our sin. And now we have the glory of the Lord being shed throughout the world in temples of Jesus Christ. That is the calling of the church. That is the, the, the picture that we ought to have. Now, we don't see it. It doesn't look very glorious for many of us, for most Christians throughout history. Because it's by, sight, by faith and because the way he conquered is through death. But that is still the vision. And that is still the truth. That Jesus is the king who has already won. That salvation really is by grace alone. That there can only ever be one body of Christ because there is only one savior. And we, like captives, are being brought to him making us more and more willing to be captive to Jesus that we would not be captive to any other master. That's what we get to be called to. Have you joined? 
Have you joined in to this glorious calling? Do not stay on the sidelines. We get to be brought into the one body of Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, to his glory alone. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five-star rating, share it with your friends, or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.